0: Hi, this is Tony Ruggiero, the Dew Sweeper. You're listening to the Tour Coach Podcast, giving you insights into golf instruction at the highest level from on the PGA Tour to our learning center at Frederica Golf Club.
1: So we're sitting in here on the Tour Coach Podcast with Jim McLean, teaching legend. And Jim, I always tell people, as I developed as a teacher, still developing and learning every day, but one of the best things that ever happened to me was getting to do the radio show and you were always so gracious and would come on all the time and sit in and it was such a wealth of information for me to learn, you know, and pick the brain of teachers, especially like you, throughout the years. And so you've always been gracious with your time with me and I appreciate it and I appreciate you sitting in tonight.
2: Well, thank you, Tony. I'm happy to do it and it's good to talk to you tonight. Well, one of the things I want to talk to you, this doesn't mean you're
1: old, but you've been doing it a long time, <laughs> right? <laughs>
2: And you, yeah. you've been, you
1: you had to be one of the first teachers that, you know, went out on tour and to tour events and those types of things. And I wanted to ask, like, how have you seen instruction and instruction of tour players change over the years? And then do you think it's been all for the better?
2: Well, you know, there obviously a lot more technology. There's a lot more hand holding right now. There's a little huh. more independence back at the end of the day. I think that everybody needs somebody they can, Go see that they trust. I think that's a good thing. I think coaching's become a lot more important in golf, certainly over the last, I don't know, 20 or 30 years, like coaching in all other sports. And they're, now there's, they've kind of gone into coaching on all the different skill sets of the game, from the mental game to the short game to putting, driving, iron game. I mean, it's like everything where they're trying to get uh, a little bit from quite a few people.
1: Yeah, I mean, it does, and it, and it seems it seems like more and more players have, like, whole entourages or teams around them, and it seems like it's more that way every year that you go out there, really. Yeah,
2: well, you have to look at who's doing the best and what type of player needs all that different type of coaching. I'd say Bryson DeChambeau which can't get enough information, and he's jumped around to some different people and certainly got into physical fitness. Other players, Justin Thomas. Having just his dad out there, and uh, I think Dustin Johnson, the number one in the world at the moment, and uh, been near the top for quite a few years, mm-hmm. has been very simple on what he works on. So it's it's definitely not that all players are going to a lot of different coaches for different aspects of their game, but you do see more of it. I want to talk about
1: technology and research because sometimes, and I don't mean this in a bad way, but you listen to a lot of teachers and they would act like that research and using technology and science is all brand new. But I know from some of the times I've listened to you and talked to you, I mean, you have, I mean research and trying to find the answers and using the latest technology isn't a new thing, and you've been doing it for an awfully long time.
2: Yeah, well, I had biomechanics at, uh, at Doral in, in the mid 1990s, and then I hired Dr. Rob Neal, who's a top biomechanics mm-hmm. researcher. And he came to work for me in 2003 for 11 years. So we had his uh, machine at Doral all of those years. I've got, I had Gears at Doral. I've had Gears in my school in Texas. I've got Gears here at the Biltmore. So um, Gears, if for people that don't know, is pretty sophisticated biomechanics. And then, of course, we've got all the other stuff, Sure. TrackMan and and Body Track and Sam Putt Lab. And, you know, we got all, the, all of that stuff. But <laughs> you still have to be able to go out and teach, Tony. And I think anybody can read numbers off a machine, but you, you mm-hmm. have to put it all together.
1: When you use stuff like gears, did it change anything about anything you thought that was <laughs> happening, or did it just help measure it better?
2: I think it helped measure it better. I felt pretty good about the empirical evidence that I found from studying video where we we would take the top 100 players or even more than that some years uh, and go through every player and see what they're doing, how much lateral motion they have, what the head's doing, what the right foot's doing, what the left knee's doing, and then try to put it together to see what are the common denominators or what things you really need to work on. And what we definitely see is that every swing is unique. You take the top 10 money winners every year and you see 10 different positions at the top, for example.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You did that. Did you do that every year? You took the top under players.
2: and yeah. researched? Well, we started doing that a long time ago with my great research friend and partner, Carl Welty. We we filmed everybody out at, in California when, when he was there, and and uh, wherever else we might get the film. But I started just with Carl, and, I, and then when I started doing my own schools, and really that was in 1991. But we would start uh, researching. Well, I mean, I would do it myself, but w- once I had a lot of people working for me, it was a lot easier where, where we could just, you know, they take one thing to look at and go through and watch 100 players and see who moved head the most, who, who moved it the least. Do the players go up or down, to right to left, toward the ball, away from the ball? Does anybody keep their head absolutely steady? You know, just the, a lot of little things like that that you just helps you to, I think, to, to teach better. And it's especially true when you're working with better players.
1: No question. No question. That's a great point, especially about better players. And one of the things I've always liked about you and respected about you is obviously sitting out in my backyard, you can hear a car go by. But, uh, um, <laughs> yeah. What, beauty of Mobile, Alabama. But, um, one of the things you know is well obviously had tons of success teaching tour players and, and so many great players but you also teach tons of regular golfers I mean or you know golfers that want to get better that come to your schools or come to your lessons and I've always found that because I've always enjoyed that I've always enjoyed trying to help people at all different skill levels and I think that's a that's an art of a real teacher like somebody that's able to one minute you're on the tee with somebody that's won a major and then the next minute you're on with somebody that's, you know, an accountant or something. And and to me, that's an important part of learning how to teach and growing as a teacher.
2: Oh, I couldn't agree with you more. You know, it's a big challenge to work with all the different types of people that you and I work with all from all walks of life, young people, you know, teenagers, uh, mid-range people and older people, and try to uh, figure out how to help them and what's going to work for them. And, you know, we kind of run the gamut from... Uh, hands and arms teaching, which can be great, but more of us, uh, or Ernest Jones or Jim Flick kind of teaching mm-hmm. to, uh, you know, Jimmy Ballard or or the big muscle swings, of uh, Ben Hogan's ideas on, on the big muscles, which is much more advanced. And I think you've got to be able to, to spoon-feed people at the right time, the right amount of information, and not get over your skis, so to speak, you know, where you, you, you're you telling them way too much, too far ahead, and, and they can't handle it.
1: You know, I had to, early in my teacher career, I, I, I'm sure I was like every young assistant teacher you've had, but like, you know, you're trying to press the boss, <laughs> you know, and I yeah. was with a student and, and my mentor that I worked for for a long time, Hank Johnson told me, pulled me back and he said, you know sounds like you're trying to take, get a sip of water from a fire hose, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, yeah. you know, he's like, you don't have to tell the guy everything you know about the golf swing in the first 16 minutes of the lesson. But that always stuck with me. And, that, you know, and that's been a constant as I've been fortunate enough to interview or to talk to and be around great teachers like yourself. It's the, you know, it seems to me quite often that the best teachers actually say, accomplish a lot while saying, some of the least, talking the least amount in the lesson at times.
2: No question. I've got a, a lot of young teachers assist to hear that in Miami, um, and for sure their main thing is talking too much. And you've got to give people a chance to hit some shots. And, you know, the, the young teacher might try to teach on every swing, you know, tell them, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, you got to back down and, and give, give a person's some air and let them breathe a little bit and and also give yourself time to assess multiple shots and give yourself time to make an accurate diagnosis because I think that's what good teachers really are able to accomplish is a good diagnosis for that person in front of them and like you and I were talking about that could be a very simple thing for a higher handicap golfer Versus something pretty technical with a with a tour player,
1: no question. And and you talked about your you know the folks that have come up under you. I, I was I was sat in on something the other day, and I I mm-hmm. talked about the fact that I I was coming up, and you know I, I thought mentoring was a big deal, and I think that's a big part of getting better as a teacher. And you're one of the great mentors in the game. You look through the lists and the people that are coming up that are great teachers, and so many of them have spent time with you, whether it's at Doral or you, or. In a bunch of your locations. When you look at that and you look at the success you've had developing teachers, which I think is as important for our game as developing players, because those teachers go out and don't always teach tour players, but they teach a lot of people to learn and enjoy the game. What are some of the things that you look and you look at like that are important for teachers if somebody's listening to this that maybe is at the beginning of their career and, you know, just getting going. what is some of your advice for those fledgling teachers?
2: Well We do a lot of training down here and at all the golf schools uh, as far as um, making the the guys and girls get up and speak for the other teachers, being being able to articulate what are you teaching. I think that's a very simple question that you could ask a lot of teachers, and I'd like them to be able to tell me what they teach in 50 minutes. And I think some people would run out of time, you know, run out in 30 seconds of what they teach, and not be able to really stand up in front of a crowd and just answer that simple question, not, not to mention teaching driving and fairway metals and chipping and putting and bunker technique and et cetera and all those skills, skill levels you need to be able to teach well. So um, I think uh, obviously now if you, can, you can do a lot of training on YouTube or Instagram, but I, I don't think there's anything that replaces actually going to see a teacher teach or take a lesson yourself. I thought I right. that's a really good thing.
1: I love that, but I, I agree. Like, I think that it's so easy nowadays for people to take, like, a lot of these online classes and these virtual things. But right. to me, the best to me, the best learning has always been watching somebody or sitting down and having a drink with them and showing them videos of your own students and asking their opinions. You know, those types of things to me are just so valuable in the learning process.
2: Well, I totally agree with that, and I encourage all of my guys and girls to go see other teachers, uh, go listen. You always learn something, it's a different way of saying something or a different way they approach a lesson. I think that's really good, and, and I do think it's best to actually make the trip and go see them. I, I know mm-hmm. you, there's a lot of things we can do right now, and but there's nothing like the actual experience of taking a lesson yourself, and I think you really get a lot more from a teacher when you take the lesson yourself because you're paying for the time. You're totally immersed and and, and you've got their full attention. You can also go watch people teach. I'm pretty careful about not doing that because one of the benefits for my assistants that are here, we have six assistants right now at the Biltmore, mm-hmm. is they can come watch me teach. But as you know, Tony, if mm-hmm. you get too many people watching a lesson, they got enough pressure on them, you know, without oh. being observed by, you know, five golf pros.
1: Yeah, it turns into like a clinic in reverse. More teachers than you have students, and it, and it's not good for anybody. No, I mean that's. But I love that. I and I and you know, folks are always asking like, how do you get better? And and I just think going out there and and watching and and oftentimes to me, like just sitting and talking, you know, yes. having lunch with a teacher, that's yes. great and
2: picking really their great. brain,
1: you know, is mm-hmm. fa- is fantastic advice.
2: I agree completely. Can couldn't agree more.
1: So take us back, like, you were an extremely accomplished player, University of Houston. How important do you think it is to be able to play the game when it comes to teaching, and then how much do you do on the golf course with your students? I like to spend a lot of time because, you know, maybe it's just by personality, but I was just curious how important you think that is, and for all levels of players that you're working with.
2: I think, um, yeah, the ability to demonstrate is a huge benefit. I know there are good teachers out there, great teachers, and didn't play much or don't have much of a playing background. You know, for me, having played in a, a lot of big tournaments and tour events, but mm-hmm. I knew the players, so it was a little easier for me to go on the range in the beginning. You know, a lot of the guys were good friends of mine. And, uh, you know, it just gave you a better entree into uh, that bigger time teaching. And certainly going out to play or going out to watch your student on the golf course is a really big thing, and I do that Often, certainly in the golf schools, we do that. But when I have a, a tour player come in, I want to go out and see what they're doing out on the golf course.
1: Yeah, there's nothing, nothing like being out there on the golf course with
2: them. Different shots, different shot shapes. What they see, what kind of trajectory they're trying to hit the golf ball, and a lot of things that they already know. But sometimes they need a refresher on some of that simple stuff. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's
1: amazing. isn't it? Amazing, like how many, you know, how great they are. That great tour players are and how sometimes it can be something like you can walk up and it can be something like ball position or it could be aim and you know they they're into a total panic like why am i why is this ball this fat it, it, it never ceases to amaze me how sometimes the solution for some of these players can be something so simple
2: i had a tour player today a top tour player uh send me a note and asked me to send some videos to me and i took a look at him and he he wanted to hit a fade and he said, I, I just can't hit a fade. And, you know, <laughs> what do I do? <laughs> and so, you know, I told him some really simple things. One of them I said, have you thought about, you know, moving your driver a degree more open and, uh, no, I hadn't thought about that. And, uh, you know, moving the ball a little forward, opening your stance, rotating better through the shot. And he loved it. You know, just love it. Oh, that's great. That's great stuff. But very, very simple stuff. And, um, uh, But, you know, sometimes you just need uh, somebody to tell you something simple, too, because you always tend to doubt yourself a little bit. I think that's in all sorts, actually. Everybody needs a little coaching and a little backup to tell you you're doing the right thing. Don't you think?
1: Yeah, and and I agree. And I think especially with, like, you know, better players, like, I think sometimes they're just looking for affirmation that everything's okay.
2: Mm Mm-hmm. That's right. Absolutely. And sometimes you got well. I think when you're working with a tour player, of course, my feeling is you got to be very careful. It's their life, That right? you're dealing with. You know, their their source of income. And you know, you've seen some guys go to teachers and get worse. And, sure. uh, and that happens. And so I think we're all trying to be very careful with saying something to you know a, a guy that's already on the tour. Anybody that's on the PGA tour is a tremendous player. So it's not going to be usually too much for them to, uh, to adjust. That's an interesting thought too, because I've always thought that with folks that would
1: come to see me, you know, in the last several years, folks that play for a living, like I've never looked at it. Like I've, I've always felt like they're already there. They're already great players or you wouldn't have a PGA tour. So it's not like we would ever need to rebuild or, you know, totally change everything because they're already good that they got there. And to me, that seems where some players get lost and I'd love your opinion on this, but, like, they've already got a PGA Tour card, and then they go down that road of search and think that they've got to make huge changes to become better. And, and to me, that doesn't work out very well for very many people.
2: Yeah, I think the things that, that's happened for me with with some players uh, where they got off doing something and we had to rework their swing path or their setup and the way they're thinking about their golf swing, I've had that happen a, a few times, but there have been pretty significant reworks where they got off the track, you know, where they got, mm-hmm. where they got doing something that really didn't work for them, mm-hmm. and they're stuck. And then there's been a few times, uh, one was with Tom Kite just a long time ago, but where he had a, a bad 1991, and he was really unhappy with his game. And he's a Kite was always a very good friend mm-hmm. of mine anyway. And he said, listen, Jim, I'm really in bad shape. I just want you to tell me what you think. Do not worry about me telling me too much. And so, you know, sometimes you get a green light situation like that. doesn't happen very often. But we know, and this is a guy that was already obviously a really great player, but we spent a lot of time working on his game in different places. I flew with him a few places, and he won the 1992 U.S. Open. Uh, so that was, it worked out pretty good. What did you change with him what, what, when he said that? Maybe one when
1: a player said that, and you're like, okay, I got the green light. Where did you go with that?
2: Well, Tom was, you know, he always tended to lay underneath it and, and, mm-hmm. and swing too far inside out. And he was moving. He got into a really wide stance, and he was moving really far forward on the ball. And he was playing the ball way forward in his stance. He was hitting his short irons terrible. I mean, hitting him really short, really high. So you know, I'm, I kind of worked on him like some of the mind-blowing thing where I, I felt like you know almost had him leaning toward the target, which he was moving way off it. Right. And uh, and then taking the club way more to him. I we picked out some of the outside of the target line, and I you know eventually I had to have him feel like he was taking it outside the target line. But when we put it on video, it wasn't happening. So he loved seeing that. And, and then when he went through, he felt like he hit his left leg almost with his left hand coming through uh, of swing the club down and he actually went to the open with a swing thought that most people couldn't break 100 with and and uh, and won the US Open to crazy you know but that was you know we we'd watch it on video i had a line on net and he he could not start the ball left of that line you know I, you could put a gun to his head and he couldn't do it at first but but eventually we got his start line good and uh, it worked out. But I probably, if I didn't know Tom so well, and I didn't feel like, you know, he was such a great putter in those days, and such a great short game, you could kind of take a little more of a, a chance uh, yeah. on his game. Because he was just apoplectic, you know, about how bad he was hitting. He just, he, he just, it was a total green light situation.
1: You know, and here's another question. Like, so, you know, and we're talking about Tom, like, but like, when you looked at it, was he really hitting it that bad? Because sometimes tour players come and think they're hitting it really bad, you know, and they're not hitting it as bad. You
2: look at the stats and stuff as they were. Was was he really yeah. hitting it as bad? Well, he was hitting the heel, you know, when you're taking that, you know, he was hitting mm-hmm. too far from the inside. And and the general mistake, where the guy that's too much in-out to is going to hit it in the heel, and the guy that's too steep is going to hit it in the toe. So that's basic teaching. and And he was hitting so many shots in the heel. And, you know, for a good player – I mean, a great player like that, when they can't hit the center of the club face, I mean, that's like beginning golf to them. Are you you, (laughs) saying you're telling me I've been playing for 30 years and practicing every day, and I can't hit? I can't even hit the center of the club face, and uh, so that's the kind of frustration that can happen to um, a a top player where they're off that much. And you know, I think that getting changing this his, his his swing path. Really helped him, and the feeling of bringing those hands, arms back in close to him, instead of having his arms go out away from him, was an exaggerated thought for him. But, but that's what worked for him, and he got it right back on the center of the club face. Well, you know, before the U.S. Open, he won it. He won. He, we, he was at Doral, and he uh, barely m- made the cut. And then he shot 65, 69 at Doral. Played really good the last two rounds, and then he won in at Atlanta, which got his confidence. Mm-hmm. Good. And then he won the U.S. Open. So. Um, that That's how that w- rolled. But, you know, sometimes you get lucky as a teacher. That's what I would say.
1: There's no question about that. But it's interesting with good players and, you know, how sometimes you can give them a feel, like you said, where they you'll know, take the club outside this and make your the club in mm-hmm. your hands feel like you're going to hit your left pocket, and it can be so exaggerated. And then once they see it and they see that it's good and then they can do that feel over and over, like that's all you got to do, then they're off to the races because they've got something they can do.
2: Yeah, I think, I really think that having a specific swing thought is a great thing. You know, you knew Manuel De La Torre, and I was, I did a number of seminars with Manuel, who was our first teacher of the year, national teacher of the year. And um, he told me, he said, look, if I could get somebody to think of do this and do that, and they trust me, then when they go to the tournament, they do this and they do that, and they hit it good. I mean, that's a very positive way to play golf as compared to, you know, a very vague idea that, that you can't kind of hang your hat on. Yeah. I,
1: you know, there's a lot of people that, you yeah, they come and they say they've got, they think it's a bad thing. They've got swing thoughts, but I think <laughs> knowing what you need to do to hit good shots and the ability to like have it to one thought or, or a feel and to go out there and try to do it each time is good. I know? do
2: too. I do too. I I, I think to me, that's why I have love position teaching where I can show people wherever they need, where they've been in a bad position and take them to a, you know, maybe a halfway back position or at the mm-hmm. top or how they start down, where they have clarity to what I'm looking at. And it's, again, it's not a vague, big picture idea. It's a little more focused picture. And to me, for me and my teaching, that's been the greatest thing for me in instruction is to have a, have them leave with a really good plan.
1: Yes. Yeah. And and to me, that's one of the great things that you can help, especially golfers coming up is they, it seems to me that they, you know, club level golfers go to the range. They don't ever have a plan of what they're working on. And junior golfers, they don't have a plan of what they're working on. And if you can give them the plan of what they're trying to work on and why, and they can really understand the why, then you've kind of empowered them that when they go to practice, they're actually getting
2: better at something. Absolutely, and you know well, this is really a game. All sports are, are critical, I think, to learn earlier. But when you try to learn late in, in life in golf, it's a, it's really a tough game, and uh, <laughs> I, you have to be very patient as a teacher to stick with people and not allow them to get ahead of themselves, so they can have a chance of progressing. Because if you if they if they get too far forward in their thinking, they just are going to play terrible golf the rest of their life.
1: No question about it. Now, last question. So you've seen so many great players, and over the years you've taught so many of them, and so many of them have come through Doral. But you look at the young crop, the the tour players out there now. When you watch those, who are your favorite ones to watch and are the ones that you're most impressed with what they do?
2: Yeah, I, I'll tell you, the, this young crop of players that just one after another jumps up and wins the tournament. Obviously, Colin Maracawa just looked so great last year. Mm-hmm. Victor Hovland is just, I think, going to be a, a really great player for a long time. Matthew Wolf's been fun to watch. Scottie Scheffler, you know, and then I know I'm, you know, Neiman is great. Uh, there's just, and I, I know I'm missing a few, but they're they're uh, they're so good. There's there's so much good teaching out there now and we've got all these advancements in the game for people to check what they're doing. They're coming out strong and the game looks good right now. I'll tell you. Uh, so I, I think these, these young guys are, are, are going to have make a a big splash here in 21.
1: That's awesome. Actually, I lied. That wasn't the last question. Why do you oh, think geez. there's so much good teaching <laughs> out there now? Well, you brought it up. I was like, what, you know, is what, what do you think
2: helped battle? well, I think that the ability to do the teaching and coaching summits, you have done a lot of speaking all over the place, Tony, and, and, and spread out a lot of great stuff. And I've spoken a lot of places around the world, and they've just grasped a lot of this good knowledge. A lot of it came from the United States out to Asia and Australia and New Zealand. But uh, I think South Africa's had great players for a long time. They've had some great teachers down there. And I think we've just progressed as a teaching profession in many ways, and I think that's the, the biggest thing has been the – for people like you who have gone out and helped a lot of uh, the teachers, I think that's made a big difference.
1: seems like, too, we're in an area where I guess technology helps, but where we're able to share more. you know, yes. And, you know, you can send a video to somebody and or, or communicate with them, and, and also – but teachers like yourself that have had success – I think a big part of it is just because you guys are open to helping young people and people coming up behind you and that so uh, for one i appreciate all you've ever done and you've always been kind to me and i appreciate you taking the time to sit in with me this evening i know you got plenty of things you could be doing after a long day of teaching but uh i appreciate that and the support and, and hopefully when things get back normal and i'm in south florida we can i can sit down and see you
2: i look forward to that and i always enjoy talking about golf you know that so oh i thanks do for know having that. Me on
3: the show i appreciate it tony absolutely jim talk to you soon Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Tour Coach with Tony Ruggiero. If you enjoyed this, make sure to hit subscribe. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you are listening to this podcast, you can stay up to date because we have weekly episodes coming your way with fascinating people in the world of golf instruction at the highest level. Make sure to subscribe and stay tuned. If you want to learn more about Tony, head over to dosweepersgolf.com to get all the details on what he's up to maybe you want to see him grab a lesson or go to one of his camps pick up his book lessons from the legends you can do that there if you want to see tony in action with some videos and other content head over to golfsciencelab.com tony to get more info there this episode was powered by the golf science lab and was edited mixed and produced by just hit Publish productions we go into
0: year two of the tour coach, it wouldn't be possible without the support of all our sponsors. And I've had some great ones. And one of the things that I'm most proud of in my career and in my business is the fact that all of my relationships here and all these sponsorships have been long time, long withstanding relationships, haven't jumped from sponsor to sponsor and manufacturer to manufacturer. And I've always prided ourselves in special relationships. And when people work together, support each other and we've all put out great products for the benefits of everybody else. So I want to give a special thanks to these folks that have been with me for such a long time, and that would be the folks at Shrikson, Cleveland Golf, and Zexio. Couldn't ask for a better manufacturer to be aligned with, and not only do they put out great product and great support, but they're first-class people, and they believe in what we're doing here on the Tour Coach and with the Dew Sweepers, and also Vineyard Vines. Ian, Shep, TJ, and all the folks at Vineyard Vines – hard to keep me looking good, but they do a fantastic job. And they're like family. They support everything on the Dew Sweepers. And we're so proud to be affiliated with and support the folks at Vineyard Vines. So if you're out there, you're listening to the Tour Coach, please support our sponsors, Strixon Cleveland Golf Zexio, as well as Vineyard Vines. And keep listening and keep enjoying hanging out with us here on the Tour Coach.